0: Welcome
1: to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. Schools strive to move students from being consumers to creators when it comes to technology. And when it comes to VR design and creation, this can be a daunting task for many. VR creation may be complex. It could be time consuming. However, more and more applications are being developed to help educators with this journey. Zoe is a VR app that might lower the barrier to content creation in VR. So today on the show, we have one of the founders, Emily Jolly, to tell us a little bit more. Emily is CEO and an interactive designer for Lab, an award-winning software company that's trying to democratize immersive design and creation. Hey, welcome to the show, Emily.
0: Hi, Craig.
1: Great to have you. I always start with this origin story, and that is, what got you interested in virtual reality in the first place?
0: Ooh, that's a long one, but I'll make it short. <laughs> now, I started, um, let's say, about 12 years ago, probably, uh, working in that space. Um, I was at school, so I was a student at university. I was doing a master's in interaction design. Um, and it actually started with my phone more with, than with VR headsets, but my my iPhone got um upgraded to a gyroscope. <laughs> so um we started building prototypes where um I was using the gyroscope of the phone to um you know use it to turn things that we do now, you know, every day, but when you can turn around in three sixty with your phone, and then we started building an interactive story that would evolve differently depending on where you were looking at. Um and that project got picked up by uh Oculus when they started. Um, with virtual reality. Um, and so that's how I kind of got into, into VR is by, um, basically just meeting with the, with the Oculus team and their very, very first prototype of a headset. And we started to adapt that, um, that story into, into VR. Um, and that's how we, we started delving into into the immersive space and, and from there started working on a bunch of different projects that um, originated, originated from that one. And it was actually my future co-founder and now my husband's project. So he, it was his bachelor's degree project.
1: Mm. Having that sense of agency in VR is, is so interesting, especially for storytelling. You know, when normally you try and tell a linear story and everyone follows along because, they have to now in VR trying to tell a story where the looker or the user can gaze away makes it a bit more challenging.
0: Definitely. It requires, well, interactivity and it requires, you know, a way to know exactly what the user is doing, where the user is looking. And now that you can walk around in VR headsets and you can grab things with your hands, there's tons of different things that you you, know, you have to think about when you're actually building an experience for, for immersive.
1: I love the term that you have on the website, democratizing immersive design. Tell us a bit more about what that really means to you guys and how it sort of intersects with the birth of your program Zoe
0: yeah, of course um so my team and and myself when we started were we're not coders originally, right we're designers, so we had to find ways to actually build these things without necessarily being software engineers. So the origin of Zoe dates from there, which is basically building tools that allows anyone to create these experiences. Um, and um, we've been focused on that ever since, is making sure that a normal, regular person is able to access some those, those tools to build these really... High-end, interactive, three D immersive experiences, and so um, Zoe is really helping in that sense. Where you can um, not only place three D models and um, basically build your you know, build your environment, and then you can add interactivity to it as well.
1: Mm. The world building part, which you just alluded to, placing assets and objects into a three D environment, and uh, spawning maybe trees and things like that. Tell us a bit about how Zoe does that for world building.
0: Yeah, and world building is a is an amazing field. I love world building. I I got um, knowledge of of that field um, by meeting a very well known world builder who used to work for um, movies like Hollywood movies, and he's the world builder for those movies. So that's how I learned a lot about world building from him um and that's some of the stuff that we talked about with him was integrated into into Zoe um so you know world building in a in a large sense is you'll have someone who wants to create the world and it allows you to basically just put what you have in your imagination and in your head and start crafting that world as you think about it so it's um i love world building for for all it does um and today how many
1: a- how many assets, roughly, I doubt you have this number memorized, but how many right. assets are available in the Zoe library for world building?
0: Um, so right now there's, I think, 400 assets in the local library, which is the, um, our own library. And then we're uh, connecting to online libraries as well. So we um, used to be connected to the Google Poly library, and now we're switching to Sketchfab. So uh, our users will be able to log in into their Sketchfab accounts. And Sketchfab has, I think, 3 million um, models. So um, that's a lot. And it ranges from 3D scans of real places to artists that created models. And then you can also upload your own, your own models in there. So
1: I just, I just recently discovered textures.com as well, which gives you 15 free a day, and they have some wonderful... Uh, assets there as well.
0: That's good to know. Some of our educators have used also Tinkercad a lot to get the students to build their own models and put them into into Zoe. Um, Tinkercad is a simple, very simple 3D modeling software for education made by Autodesk.
1: So once they build it inside Tinkercad, they have to export it as what kind of file before they can put it into Zoe.
0: So in the version that we have right now, they would upload it into Poly. So they would just export from Tinkercad and then Poly. A student actually made a tutorial uh, on our YouTube channel. So you can, he explains the whole process on how to do this. Um, and uh, we're actually talking with them on having a direct export to Zoe button from Tinkercad. So
1: mm.
0: once that, that's going to make it easier uh, once we actually do that part
1: because sometimes when you download the file and so export it and mm-hmm. then import it you might lose the texture or the color
0: exactly all
1: those all those assets does that happen from Tinkercad across and then up into Zoe
0: yes so the student actually explains exactly how to do that so you have to download the OBG, I think, an MTL file, and then you just have to to change one number and then it'll upload the colors and the textures and everything.
1: So perfect.
0: They figured it out on their own. So I was happy about that.
1: (laughs) Kids are amazing like that. Let's talk about the harder part about building VR experiences and that is the interactivity piece. Yep. This this interactivity can be very cumbersome in VR design. So many uh, development engines like Unity and Unreal Engine, you have to know a little bit more about coding in order to design a more interactive experience, like being able to pick up an object and throw it or touch a button and that does something else. How does how does Zoe lower this barrier for teachers?
0: Yeah, so... Um the core of the Zoe platform for us is the no-code interface that we built. Um, So we've been using it even for commercial projects. So it's pretty robust and we've been integrating the functionalities into our app one after the other. Um, So that interface allows the, you know, the students or teacher or anyone to um, easily add interactivity in the the scene. Um, And you can do a bunch of different things. So, you can say, "I don't know if I grab this object, then this happens, and that happens, or if I open this door, then this should launch, and then this should launch, so it really allows you to build your whole experience in a in an easy way, and you don't need to know how to code, but you do understand more how code works by going through the process of doing this, but it doesn't require as much i don't know computing power of your <laughs> of your brain to to actually do it because it's easy to do so it's been very successful for students who are scared of coding, um, who are not comfortable with it. Um, and when they start with the app, um, they get, you know, they understand the logic and you can see the result right away, which is pretty cool. So, you know, once you decide, I don't know, this button should make this door open or turn this light on, you'll see what you've, you've been building right away. And it gives you a sense of satisfaction because you see your whole world becoming interactive as you're building. Um, and for the more advanced students that are, you know, already thinking about coding, then we have a Unity plugin where you can continue your journey into Unity. Um, and it's still a no-code interface, but there you can code your own actions, you can code your own conditions. So you really thought of it from a learning standpoint to start off with something very simple and then going towards more of a kind of professional grade.
1: I also noticed from some of the stuff that you post on social media that you have a, a good relationship with Unity, which might mean that, you know, things continue to progress.
0: Yes. So we're really, we're pretty close to them because we, Zoe is built on top of the engine that our app. Um, and also we have similar visions, right? They're trying to get um, students and teachers to to learn to use Unity or at least use game engines in general for for learning and Zoe is kind of a easy, you know, it's an easy way to do that. And it helps them as well in a way. Um, even though we're standalone and we're not, you we don't need to use Unity to use Zoe. Um, you know, it's, it's beneficial for, for everyone, I think. And, uh, it's also a good way for us to see what they have on their roadmap, see what's coming next. Um, and being, make sure that Zoe is kind of on top of what, you know, technically what we can do.
1: You know, more and more schools are emphasizing uh, 21st century learning skills, and you actually use that term also on your website, which I think is brilliant. So this might involve the explicit teaching of something like problem solving, or you mentioned about no-code thinking. So we often will call that systems thinking in education. Can you give us an example of how a school has used ZOE to enhance maybe solving a problem or systems thinking?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I think, you know, from the great example that we have, and we've put all of that knowledge into what we call the ZOE instructional model. So that's a great guideline to, to use as a teacher where um, we split it in different phases and each phase kind of gets the students to a point where they learn all those different things. But simply by going through the process of creating an experience, whatever the topic is, and I can give you more examples on which topics students have worked on, um, but they have to go through all of those steps uh, from, you know, finding an idea and brainstorming it. Then you have to communicate that idea. Um, You have to design what it's going to be about your story or your game or your creation. Um, You have to do maybe some storyboarding and thinking prototyping um, and then you have to think about how you're actually going to build it. So that's where the the coding or systems thinking come, comes in. And then you also have you know you have to get your users or your colleagues or your friends, student friends, to test it out, give you feedback, and then continue to iterate on it. So this whole process of going from an idea to a final product really walks the student through tons of different steps that are super important for for all those 21st century skills.
1: Um, mm, it's like design thinking.
0: Yeah. A lot of design thinking is awesome. We've, we, you know, an example is we've had, you know, we've had a student work on, I'll give you three examples of things they've done. So one group of, um, I think they were 12, 12, 13 year olds did a training program to help Chinese farmers unpollute their soil. So their goal was to actually, they were thinking of actually selling their app afterwards when they get older, but their goal was to really teach, you know, a farmer how to, how to get their their soil to be back uh, in in working shape, and so they they researched online, they did all the calculations for how you have to do things, uh, in which order. So all that research part was really important, and then they implemented that into their into their game, and then had to t- make it. You know, they tested it with their parents and with their other students, um, and then improved it over time, and that took maybe a week. Right, it was a week camp, so. In, in just the span of a week, they learned so much about the topic. And the original topic was sustainable agriculture. And I can tell you when we, the teacher told them that was the topic of the week, they weren't so excited initially. They were like, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what is that exactly? Um, and then by just picking a topic and then drilling on it, they got super passionate about it. So that was nice to see. Um, another student did a, um, tr- uh, it's not a training, but like a game for parents to teach them how to better handle um, student with mental health issue, a child with mental health issues. Because she, um, that one of the team members has a brother with mental health issues and she wanted to teach her parents how to better handle him. I thought that was really great too, great example. Um, and more, maybe more classic, we had a student work on a math experience. Um, and so, he created an experience where you had to go through four or five math problems from like geometry and calculation. And your goal is to get out of the class as soon as possible. <laughs> so that's the goal of the game. But by going mm-hmm. through the actual having to build that game, he actually learned a lot about math and geometry and things he forgot about. So he had to do tons of research around it. So um, these are all really interesting examples, but there's much, many, many more.
1: You know, all all your examples remind me of something that's becoming uh, really popular in schools and that's uh, hackathons where, you know, the, the problem is outlined, like you mentioned, sustainability and the kids have like a set amount of time. Like sometimes it's only like the weekend, sometimes it's a whole week to try and come up with, like you said, some sort of product or experience. And in the case of VR, VR is the ultimate tool for, you know, a hackathon because, they can build anything they can cook up inside a virtual world. So I'm sure you'll see a uh, great popularity as we move forward because hackathons are such a uh, interesting concept for schools.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and for, as you said, for, for VR as well. And it's, uh, you know, it, it get it's so intuitive to be in that 3d space building things that you, you get to product much quicker or to projects much quicker than you would if you had to go through, I don't know, Unity or Unreal and start having to do, it takes a lot more time. So And hackathons are usually short, right? So
1: Yes. Um, once the student has designed their VR experience, how do other people access it? Do they put it up on, uh, on WebXR or how, how does that sort of get accessible?
0: Yeah, so um, we have two softwares. So we have the Zoe app, which is the standalone app in VR. And then we have Zoe for Unity. So if you're using Zoe for Unity, then you can export your game as an app or you can share your Unity project. Um, in the app right now, we can um, users can find all their scenes in the app. So you have a scene and you can share it or send it by email. Um, it's just a file and it's very, very, it's not heavy at all. Um, but we're working now on a marketplace so that it's much easier to share content. So you'll be able to, um, send, uh, apps to users, but you'll be also able to invite users into your project so that you can do it uh, together, collaboratively. Mm.
1: Full disclosure, I've tried your app, both with the unity plugin and then also in the quest headset. And I, I love it and I'm definitely, uh, using it a bit in my classes. I think the biggest barrier that many of us educators face but is getting way better is just the sheer number of headsets that we have yeah. in the schools, but that's growing. You mentioned that these examples, student projects, how does how have you found teachers tackle that issue where they only have a few headsets yet they've got this wonderful app to create things called Zoe? Yeah,
0: and, and headsets are... You know, obviously a bit of a hurdle because you need to have them. Um, it depends that like we've had um, schools who got lucky or students who got lucky because they the district actually decided to buy headsets for all the students and they got sent home. So uh, over summer, we had a few camps where they actually did the the um the experiences from home with a headset. and then the person who's delivering the workshop usually lands the headset. like they have maybe I don't know, ten headsets available and they'll lend them out you know, during the course of the two-week camp and then uh, get the headsets back and then use them again for, for another session. And I've seen that done a lot from either individual institutions or schools, but it's definitely not easy. Um, and until a couple of weeks ago, distribution was also complicated for apps, and that changed a little bit now because we're... We've collaborated with oculus on with Zoe, so now it's available to download much easily on the store, so you don't have and, to cut your headset
1: and congratulations for that because uh, I follow the VR world quite closely, whether that's on the entertainment side or of course the education side and that that's not an easy endeavor you know there are some stories where developers have had a hard time fostering a relationship with oculus so I want to say kudos to you guys it it speaks volumes to the quality of your app if if oculus is sort of entered into this relationship where they're allowing you on the headset through the the new app lab to be there on the headset so that's that's a great achievement
0: yeah oculus is a is a is a good partner but they we've been pushing them on the education side a lot and well you you know that and, and the audience knows that as well there's a link to facebook which is not always easy for education so you know we're we're trying to push them in, in the right direction so we'll see how that goes but uh, it's it's opening up week after week and there's other headsets of course but um we 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 try to um, at least as a platform Zoe platform agnostic as much as we can so to make it easily workable on all the headsets. Um, And we're also building a mobile version, so that will also
1: help. Awesome. You know, your website talks about professional development for teachers Mm -hmm. on using Zoe. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? And are there things down the calendar year coming up in the future where teachers might sign up for professional development to learn how to use Zoe?
0: Yeah. So, uh, today, um, we, any account, you know, any school or institutions that's paying for a school license, all the teachers get the pro accounts and the training as part of Zoe. So, um, the training includes, it's, there's self-pay stuff, but there's also all the guidelines, tons of resources for, for teaching. Um, Zoe and VR in general and, or 3d in class lesson plans, and also access to all the new features we're adding. For example, the mobile version is very, a lot of people are waiting on it as well, because they're excited to get more accessibility of, of Zoe on mobile and it'll work seamlessly with the VR version. So that's good. Like if you're building in VR and then you don't have a VR headset anymore, you'll be able to continue your app on mobile and then go back to VR. So we're really excited about all these stuff.
1: You mentioned, like many people, they don't come from a computer science background, and so coding wasn't part of their DNA. Now that you've had a chance to sort of have a a taste for a bit of how that works, do you think schools should still think about teaching coding? Because, especially in the United States, some are actually mandating it, almost like learning another language. What's your philosophy on that? Do Do you think? Even though it's difficult sometimes to learn that coding should be still implemented in schools,
0: for me, yes, definitely, because I I think it's a super important skill to learn. Um, but and you know, it's been a debate among ourselves as well as we're building Zoe. Is to what level do we want to go uh, in the app? So, do we keep it very simple? Do we add things that a computer science teacher would prefer because they're they're here to teach students how to code, right? So the actual scripting side of things, which we don't have, but the way we've decided to to leverage Zoe is to make it easy enough so that you learn the um, coding logic of it, meaning that you'll, you won't have to script, but you'll get the logic. And that will help a lot with so many students that are not comfortable with it, like I used to be. Because <laughs> <laughs> when we were doing computer science classes myself at first, we were basically just... You know, writing text and then it was all in 2D. So it took us like a week just to do a square and then we would show it would a square would show up on our screen. And I always felt super underwhelmed by all this work of trying to f- understand how it worked. And then the result was like a square. <laughs> so that was really frustrating to me. And my former teacher knows that because he's seeing what we're doing now. <laughs> and so I think there's, you know, there's ways to bring in more students into coding by going through things like Zoe, but there are others like Scratch, and, um, you know, you've met, there's others that are coming as well. Um, I, I think coding is important, but there's ways to get people in there, and not everyone needs to know all of it, you know, you don't need to have all students knowing precisely exactly everything about it, or be good at it, but if they learn the logic of it, they understand much better how our, you know, how our computers work, how our phone works, how you know, design works and, and apps work, so that's a good skill to
1: have. Yeah, I think VR could be a game changer when it comes to coding. You know, you, you think of the analogy, okay, I'm going to teach you a language like German, mm-hmm. but guess what? We're, we're never going to speak to a German person, and we're not going to go to Germany versus the other scenario, which is, okay, I'm going to teach you German, and then guess what? Every once in a while, we're going to head over to Germany and you're going to get to be immersed inside sort of the German culture and so on. And I I see coding and VR kind of like that sort of marriage where you you can learn a little bit of code. And guess what? You get to put a headset on and see your fruition or your fruits of labor in this amazing 3D environment.
0: Yeah, and you see the result directly. I think that speaks to what I was talking before, is, you know, when you get, we had students, we did a pilot where we had students first do a Unity, like 12 year olds doing Unity, that was fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and then doing VR apps. So we actually did it the other way around. We had them first try VR interfaces, uh, like blocks. It was before Zoe actually, it was when we were actually thinking of Zoe. So we did that with the teacher and they started with VR interfaces, and um, it was easy for them, you know, they would pull in models, put them in, start building things. Um, and then when we went into flat interfaces that Unity and coding, they were like, what is that? What is, what <laughs> is even that? They, I have videos of them going, what is this? And that was kind of funny, funny to do, but uh, it was interesting to see that different levels of depending on the students and some of them then picked up Unity, but maybe two out of 10, right? So mm. two out of 10 got comfortable, And then the other eight were just kind of very scared and they went back to to the VR part. One of the other
1: things, sorry, one of the other things that really impresses me uh, about you, Emily, is your ability to be actively inside the educational community. Why is that an important mandate for Zoe? And what are some ways that you continue to try and connect with the education world?
0: Well, we started Zoe because of educators. That's the first thing to note because we we weren't necessarily thinking about education when we were building our tools, not as the primary use case. Um, but I was uh, I, we were doing an accelerator at HTC um, and started talking with one educator who um, was telling me his students are using this amazing tool to build. VR experiences and it's been so great and he was teaching high school and then after 30 minutes we realized he was using our tool so <laughs> a little bit of time but it really started that way and so for us education is very important but it's important to be connected to educators because they are the ones who are going to be using this and students as well right so we really keep a close connection to anyone who has who's in within the community and the schools who are paying licenses and everything because we're building things that they want or that they like. Right. So it's a lot of conversation and collaboration. And uh, I think it's the best way to build an educational product too, because, um, you know, they're going to be the ones using it. So.
1: Well said. You already mentioned about your new app coming for the phone and, and devices. Are there any other things sort of on your roadmap for the future for Zoe or things related to VR creation in general?
0: Um, so the main two things are, um, yeah, are like mobile and multiplayer. So um, the idea is we've prototyped it already and started working on it the whole for the whole summer. So you'll be able to um, be in Zoe in your three d space and then invite your students to come into that space um, and then group them and have them work on their projects. And you can do that together. Um, and so that's that's a really key, you know, new thing for, for the future of Zoe. And then mobile, I mentioned it already. So mobile is going to be a way for students to, they'll be able to create also on mobile um, and in VR. So imagine that you are in that collaborative space, you might have students that are in the VR headset and students that are on the mobile device, but they're all working together. Um, and for me, that's important. I think it, it'll help also with, Getting more people into immersive and into 3D, if you can get them more and more access to these things, um, is going to be super encouraging. And then the last bit is the marketplace that we're building. So that's going to be a bit later, probably at the end of the year, um, where um, the teachers, educators or institutions will be able to post uh, workshops or content and actually monetize the, the work that they're doing. So we're excited about that.
1: Wow, lots on the go. I usually get uh, responses from people and it's just like one thing, but uh, you guys have three. That's amazing.
0: One after the other, though. I'm not promising any, like, we're a team of nine, so we have a ton of work to do, but uh, we will do, we're doing mobile right now. That's the first priority. Then comes multiplayer and then the marketplace a bit later. That's the timeline.
1: Emily, anything that has not been talked about that you think educators might want to know Maybe something that's been left unsaid so far.
0: Um, I don't think I don't think there's anything. We're gonna be organizing programs with educators from around the world, where students are gonna be creating VR experiences, and we're gonna do a showcase at the end of the year. So if you know if anyone's interested in joining that, it's gonna be super cool, and we'll work with partners. So it's gonna be a bit similar to what we did last summer, where the students were able to show their project at Comic Con online. Um, And then next year, we don't know yet where the showcase is going to be, but um, we're trying to get schools or or camps or students from schools in Switzerland, U.S., uh, Lebanon, Africa. So it's going to be interesting.
1: Awesome. How can people learn more or get a hold of you if they have more questions, Emily?
0: Yes. So um, one thing uh, educators can do is they can sign up for a free account on Zoe now. So that allows you to try it out uh, before implementing it in your in your classes or school. Um, we're super active on Twitter. So you can definitely contact us there. And then the last piece is just sending an email to either zoe.com or zoe.com And we're super responsive there. So if you have questions about the software or how to get started, just head on over there and send us an email and we'll respond.
1: Listen, Emily, content creation is, as I said, at the start of the show, the ultimate goal by most teachers. So thank you so much firstly for lowering the bar for that for teachers, but more importantly, thinking about education and educators. I know the VR world has a lot going on in the entertainment side but it's so refreshing to see companies like you guys who are starting to spark uh, excitement in the education world. So thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Bye for now. Bye.